0: Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks!
1: Hi church, I'm Lance, he, him. So tonight we're beginning a new worship series, and it's called It Would Have Been Enough. Katie's going to say more about this in her sermon, but for tonight and for several more weeks, our responsive reading will be replaced with a new practice, it's a storytelling process called Dayenu, Dayenu, and I'm going first, so if what I'm doing or saying doesn't entirely make sense, hopefully over the weeks it will make more sense. So, my Dayenu story is about a time uh, that my parents sort of came to my rescue in a season of my life. If God had given me parents that supported my decision to go back to graduate school in midlife, but had not placed it on their hearts to move across the country to come and help me, it would have been enough. If God had placed it on their hearts to come and help me, but had not given them the wisdom to move close to our new home, but not too close, it would have been enough. If God had inspired my dad to sell his truck and buy a minivan, but had not granted my mom the patience and the curiosity to care for both my kids after school each day of the world in ways that met their distinctive needs, it would have been enough. If God had granted my mom the patience and curiosity to care for my kids, but had not blessed me with this opportunity to get to know my parents all over again in a new and deeper way as an adult, it would have been enough.
0: So, yeah, we're in a new worship series starting tonight. It would have been enough, I I promise. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. But over the next several weeks, we'll be reading through the book of Exodus, the second book in the Hebrew Bible, um, and exploring this foundational story of our ancestors in faith. This is the story that gave our ancestors their identity and... and. The story that established God's identity for them. Tonight, we're going to pick up the story of Exodus, not at the beginning, but in medius race with the parting and rejoining of the Red Sea. Now just for fun, if you want to, count the times that this story mentions the chariots and chariot drivers in this account of the Egyptian army. it is These chariots are a symbol of advanced weaponry in that ancient world. Now, this is not the main point for this day, but on another day, if we wanted to, we could take our cue from Exodus 14 and make fun of the Egyptians and their ridiculous reliance on technology the way God's own self seems to when God talks about them. And we could wonder about our own world and the massive resources that we devote to the development of technology for warfare. While we still cannot seem to figure out how or muster the will to cool our feverish planet or to feed all its people or to vaccinate all its children, et cetera, et cetera. We know how to do so much like the Egyptians in this story That the allocation of technological innovation is tragically misplaced. Count, chariot, chariot drivers. This is from Exodus chapter 14, I'm beginning in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people. And they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So Pharaoh had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 elite chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out so boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them, camped by the sea, by Piharath in front of Baal Zephan. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. And in great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone so we can serve the Egyptians. Or it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. But Moses, the non-anxious presence, said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only To be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. You, you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. And then, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots, his chariot drivers. And then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, his chariot drivers. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved in from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness and it lit up the night. And one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. And the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. God clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting for them against us. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in the Lord's servant, Moses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is one of the great turning points in all of literature. On one side of the sea, the misery of enslavement and a ridiculously overpowered army ready to drag them back into it. On the other side of the sea, liberation and the first day of the rest of their lives. On one side of the sea, they are slaves, victims, Pharaoh's people. On the other side, they will be free, survivors, God's people. All they have to do is get to the other side of that sea, which, as you know, is a symbol for every kind of amorphous chaos, the scary down deep that you cannot see, the swirling currents that want to drag you down and drown you. On this shore, you are diminished, threatened, violated. On the opposite shore awaits everything you want, the freedom to pursue everything you must have for your flourishing. But between here and there, the wine-dark sea, red and roiling and ready to swallow you down. If I asked you, I bet you could tell me about the Red Sea crossing in your autobiography, about the season you spent under the boot of someone else's expectations, crushed into smallness and exhaustion, about the moment you stood at the water's edge and caught a glimpse of what life could be like on that distant shore where you could finally be free to stand all the way up and fill your lungs all the way to the bottom and express in full the whole self that God made you to be? You could tell me about the ones who pursued you into the sea, but whose influence was finally no longer felt on the other side. And you could tell me what it was like to wade into that water. How cold it was. How frightening it was. How it took every milliliter of courage in your trembling body to dive all the way in. And maybe you could also tell me about how you felt carried through it. How the current was not only a threat, but a conduit a canal for your rebirth on the other side, Maybe you could tell me how you emerged gasping and blinking like a newborn baby on the other side, free to start your life all over again, your real and blessed and precious life in the care of the God who called you out of bondage on the one side and into liberation on the other, the God who carried you through the sea of your hardest season as if on dry land. I'm not alone, by the way, in imagining the Israelites crossing of the Red Sea as a rebirth. The Apostle Paul did it first in 1 Corinthians 10, saying that our ancestors were baptized in the sea, giving us permission to understand that the dry land was not the point. The miraculous walls of water standing up on each side of the sand were never the point. The crossing through was the point. The peril was the point. God's provision was the point. The new life on the other side was always the point. Tell it however you want, so your children and your children's children will never forget it. God brought us through on dry land, sure drew us up out of oppressive subsistence and delivered us unto the bright new day of freedom. And God will do it again, we say, on dry land? Sure. This is our baptismal reality. It was God who carried us through. It is God who carries us through. And I was two weeks ago years old, when I learned a new thing about our ancestors telling of their own liberation story, a scholar at our denominational assembly opened to us the practice of the Nu, the practice that Lance exemplified for us a little while ago. I hope you'll bear with me while I explain what was explained to me. At a Passover meal, the annual celebration during which Jewish believers recall together the strong arm and mighty hand of our liberating God, the Exodus story is always told and retold. It's told in words, it's told in food, it's told in singing. Three of my favorite ways to tell stories, words, food, singing. One song that has been sung during a Passover meal since about the 9th century CE is called Dayenu. That's a subjunctive phrase in Hebrew that translates as something like, it would have been sufficient. It would have been enough. Dayenu connects two ideas or events or feelings by saying that the first, all by itself, could stand alone, would be good enough. But the first is followed by a second, an additional, a bonus, that was not required, but adds to the fullness of the first. I encourage you to look up the Wikipedia article on Dayenu, D-A-Y-E-N-U. It's very good. And you can see there all the words and the sheet music for this medieval song. The way the 15 stanzas, yes, 15, of the Passover song tell the story, the exodus was actually less of a Red Sea turning point and more of a slow build toward God's full intentions. Like this. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had brought us out of Egypt but left the Egyptians alone without judgment. It would have been enough, knew. But then God also carried out judgments against our oppressors. It would have been enough, knew, if God had carried out judgments against our oppressors but had left their idols untouched, knew. But then God also destroyed their idols, it would have been enough, knew, if God had destroyed their idols, but had not smitten their firstborn sons and livestock. It would have been enough, knew, But then God also smote their firstborn. And on it goes. And yeah, some of those stanzas are really heavy. They're ominous and violent. They are much like the Exodus story itself. All those Egyptian parents grieving firstborn sons. Egyptian corpses washed up on both shores of the Red Sea, singing about it, doo-wop, barbershop, dubstep. It reminds me of songs that my fundamentalist church cheerfully sang about all of us flying away to heaven while all our neighbors fell down to God's eternal fiery torment. I'd hum a few bars, but it'll give you an earworm and you don't want it. <laughs> As the stanzas of Dayenu go on, the singers are carried through the whole saga of liberation. It's less of a singular turning point and more of a slog, honestly, through terror and thirst and wilderness and wandering and doubt and death, culminating finally with the building of the temple in Jerusalem, the high point of their (laughs) centuries of rescue, (laughs) the pinnacle of their safety and flourishing as the free people of God. Now, though I've never sung Nu" at a Passover meal, at our denominational assembly a couple of weeks ago, I experienced its effect as I listened to several storytellers narrate their own Nu." It would have been enough, one of them said, Nu." If God had kept my car on the highway when the tire blew at 70 miles an hour, knew. But then God also moved the drivers in four lanes of traffic out of my way so that I could safely pull over and call for help. And it would have been enough, knew, if God had moved traffic so I could pull over. But then God also sent help. In time for me to get to the very first worship service of my brand new call, Nu. This way of telling a story does a couple things that I want to make explicit, if you will endure a bit more preacher-splaining. I got a lot of it built up, you know, it's been some weeks. One is when we tell our stories this way, it makes God the sole subject of our story. God is the actor the decider, the one whose arm is strong and whose hand is mighty. Exodus 14 reminds us of this when God says why God is about to do what God is about to do with that Red Sea. Then God says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, over his chariots and his chariot drivers. It is on behalf of, for the benefit of, the Israelites, or the clergy person whose tire blew, or Lance, whose parents still live with us today. But God is the capital S subject of every verb in a dayenu telling. And secondly, when God is the subject of all the verbs, the feeling that grows with each successive stanza can only be gratitude. It's not the momentary explosion of thanksgiving that erupts when your feet finally find the solidity of the liberating shore. Oh, thank God. Oh, praise Jesus. Rather, this is the slow build and the gradual layering, the growing recognition over a long lifetime, maybe even over generations, that God has been present and powerful all along the way, incrementally moving and nudging and acting and doing. The gratitude that can then be expressed is not dependent on one momentary, miraculous overpowering of nature or traffic, or the laws of physics, but rather on a lifetime lived in God's ongoing care. It would have been enough, Dayenu, if God had performed one outstanding miracle on, on, on my behalf, Dayenu, we might say. But then God also showed up again and again and yet again, in ways I did not always recognize in the moment. Like the terrified Israelites wishing they had died in Egypt. In hindsight, I can see how God carried me through and carries me still. And while that would have been enough for me, God's resources are never exhausted. And God's work on our behalf is never finished. And this song is never really over. knew. It would have been enough. But then God also... over the next several weeks, we're going to hear the stories behind our ancestors' Daye New song from the Book of Exodus. And we're going to hear more of our church friends' Daye New stories in worship. Maybe you will be inspired to write your own. If you do, I cannot wait to hear it. It would have been enough, knew, if God had granted me a church family that welcomed me as its lead evangelist, knew. But then God also led that church to honor my need for rest. And it would have been enough, knew, if God had led Galileo Church to grant me rest, knew. But then God also raised up people to sustain our church's life while I was away. And it would have been enough, knew, if God had raised up people to sustain our church. But then God also opened your hearts to welcome me home. Thank you, beloveds. And thanks be to God.
2: Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities we do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.